uh, before he gets off the stage, uh, just some good news. He and Shannon are engaged to be married. That just makes you happy, doesn't it? That's, that's great news. Uh, we're going to continue our series this morning. Let's pray first. <clears throat> Father, we never want to take for granted any of the love, the, the patience, the mercy, the tenderness, the gentleness, the faithfulness that you show us. We're reminded every day when the earth does not fall apart and everything in nature goes as it should. You have given us what we need for this life. But more than anything else, you have given us yourself. This life that you have blessed us with, that is saturated with love, your grace, but more than anything else, it's your presence as creator, as ruler, but as love that has changed us through and through. We are so grateful for our salvation. We are so grateful for the forgiveness of our sin, guilt being removed. But we are so grateful that our life is a life that is lived with you. And we pray, Father, that as we think about what that all entails, we ask that not only for our eyes to be open and our ears to be open, but for our hearts to be open as well. So please, Father, eyes that see, ears that hear, and heart that is willing to follow, this is what we pray for. In the name of your son, Jesus, and everyone said. Quick recap from last week. As you know, we're starting a sermon series that we're calling Launch, and it's about what it was like when the church was launched by God into the world. And as you know, the, the church throughout all of the ages has had this tremendous impact on all of the cultures, all of the eras, all of the peoples, all of the different uh, cultures that it has found itself in. And one of the things that we really kind of jumped on last week, kind of hard, was that the church, the ecclesia, the original word in the Greek New Testament for church, that word ecclesia, church, was never understood by the early Christians as a building. It was understood as them, the people. The church was always a people. And the church never identified itself with a building, never identified itself with, with, with a place so much as identified itself as a people and as you know this is how the early disciples saw themselves they saw themselves as as a movement of god-led go everywhere gospel sharing people tearing down breaking down the walls or the gates of hell wherever those gates were found let me say that again christianity as those early disciples the early christians saw themselves christianity as they saw themselves was a movement of god-led Go everywhere, gospel-sharing people, breaking down the gates of hell, wherever those gates are found. The church, in those early days, never allowed themselves to be defined by anything except a movement of God's kingdom in them. But trouble brews. The kingdom of God 
when we forget that fact. In fact, let me illustrate that, how that happens. Um, the lady, she's uh, having a bad day. And angry at the world, worst day ever, frustrated with husband, annoyed with the kids. And now she's late to work, and she's tailgating up against a guy that's driving as slow as death. And she is trying to get around him. She's not getting a chance. She's tailgating him. And then they come up to a light. The light turns yellow. Instead of going through it, he stops, and she just comes within inches of rear-ending him. Well, that is the last straw for this gal. And she lays down on the horn, and she's honking and honking and honking, and she's just screaming at this guy and screaming and screaming. And then she's brought up short because there is a very authoritative knuckle that is rapping on the side of her window. She looks up, and it's the biggest cop she's ever seen in her life. And not only is he big, but he's got a big, serious look on his face. And he says, lady, I need you to get out of that car slowly, and I need to see your hands. And so she gets out of the car. He handcuffs her, puts her in the squad car, takes her down to the station. She is fingerprinted, she is photographed, and she's put in the, the cell. Well, she's sitting there going, man, could this day get any worse? And the police officer comes in, he's kind of sheepish looking, he says, I am so sorry, I made a mistake. When I saw all of those bumper stickers that said, what would Jesus do? And honk if you love Jesus, and I saw that chrome fish attached to your your your." your trunk and i saw the way you were acting i naturally assumed that that car was stolen <laughs> two things now you know that's a fictitious story because only men have road rage <laughs> second the church as a movement is in trouble when what we are on the inside of the building matters more than what we are on the outside of it Say that again. The church as a movement is in trouble when who we are inside the church building is more important. It matters more than what we are on the outside of it. Now, I, a quote from C.S. Lewis. We read a lot of C.S. Lewis around here. From uh, Mere Christianity, towards the end, about page 177 or so, Lewis says, speaking of Jesus, that he came to this world and became a man in order to pass his kind of life to other men and then notice these words, by which I call good infection. So Jesus came into the world, and he became a man in order to pass on to men the kind of life that he has, what he calls the good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. Good infection. Every time I read those words, it pulls me up a little short. What does it mean to become infected? When you become infected, something small but powerful enters into your body and grows until it affects everything about that body. When you become infected, something starts off small but with the intent of conquering everything. That's what it means to become infected. Now, Peter would say it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Paul would say it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that how we become infected is through the Holy Spirit. When we repent and are baptized and confess Jesus as Lord and all of that, and we are expressing our faith in God, we become infected. As you know, we talk about this. We become infected in a manner of speaking by the Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes to live in us. And in those two verses, both Peter and Paul say, you know what the Holy Spirit is there for? Lots of things, but never forget that the Holy Spirit is in you in order to sanctify you, which is just a real 
Bible way of saying that the Holy Spirit is helping you to become holy. In other words, the Holy Spirit is inside of you helping you to develop the character of God. That's what it means to be infected. Now, just off the top of your head, how many members do you think we have in our church? Somebody said a ton. That's right. A little bit more accurate. 1,100. In fact, that, well, probably a little bit more than 1,100 members, but I'm going to give you the anti-preacher count and go down rather than go up. So we got 1,100 members. What that means is that 1,100, we have 1,100, 1,100 Holy Spirit-infected people who through space and time are becoming little Christs and going out into the community every day as a part of God's movement that reclaims and restores human souls through the gospel saying, your sins can be forgiven. Your guilt can be removed. The idols of your heart, the idols that are killing you and enslaving you, the idols of your heart can be overthrown. You can actually look towards eternity with hope in your heart. And for a lot of people, the idea of a life with God, when they thought that was never going to be possible, it is possible. I mean, we say life with God. It's not just this life in which you change the way you do things on certain days of the week. You are living with God who created the heavens and the earth and who is love and his core being and has made life with him available even to those who never thought it was possible for them. But think about the gravitational pull of every culture and every society of every era. Gravitational pull of our culture makes it difficult to retain the sense of, of movement, that we are a people movement led by God, going everywhere, sharing the gospel, tearing down, breaking down the, the gates of hell wherever we go, that it makes it difficult for us to retain the sense of that movement and to make it only about us. And to make it only about us. I mean, think about our religious church language. How was church today? And what do we mean by that? How was church? We mean what happened between 10.30 and 11.30 in this particular room? Or we say, uh, we ask somebody, where do you go to church? Meaning, you know, at what place, out of all of the buildings in this town, which building do you go to Sunday morning or Sunday evening? Now, I, you know, I don't have a beef with the words. What I have a beef with, though, is that it's just one of the dangers that the church faces in every era is that we will become so inwardly focused that we make absolutely no difference in anyone's life. Can you imagine, can you imagine having the Holy Spirit living inside of us and, and the cost for our salvation, our sins to be forgiven, the investment that God puts with that Spirit in us to to transform us day by day into the likeness of Jesus. And the goodness and the graciousness and the patience and the kindness that has been invested, and it never leaves the premises. Here's the big idea this morning. That movements remain movements through prayers for boldness. Movements remain movements through prayers 
for boldness. Now, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and we're going to see three phases of the word shake. S-H-A-K-E. First, you can write this down on your outline. It's the attempt to shake the church. Acts 3 opens with Peter and John going up to the temple. It's a time of prayer. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There is a man who is crippled in both feet. He's been that way since birth, who's begging by the gate called Beautiful. And he looks to Peter and John. He's expecting to get something from them. He does not imagine what he's going to get in the form of a miracle. And Peter says, hey, I don't have silver and gold, but I will give you what I can. And in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he, he is healed. And for the first time in his life, he's able to run and stand and, and, and jump around. And there's no pain and there's stability and there's not awkwardness. And, and the people in wonder and amazement come running over to Solomon's colonnade. And there's just this big uproar about this miracle that has taken place. A guy that has been this way all of his life since birth has been healed by the kingdom of God. And Peter is not going to let another opportunity pass for him to share the gospel. So he basically gets up and preaches for Christ and calls for the people to repent, to align their life up with God's will. Well, the temple guard and the Sadducees come up. They don't like the commotion. And they seize Peter and John. But notice Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Many who heard the message, what? They heard a message and, and a message was spoken to them. Words got out of somebody's mouth about the gospel, and they what? Believed, and the number of men grew to about, let's say it together, 5,000. We're 1,100. They grew to 5,000 men. They were going to be Holy Spirit-infected people turning into little Christs. Well, it's already late in the day, so these religious leaders decide to let Peter and John stew in jail overnight. The next morning, they bring Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin. We read it's a Sanhedrin a couple of verses later. And they ask, by what power did you do this healing? And Peter, as we are told, filled with the Holy Spirit, there it is, responds by saying it was by the name of Jesus, whom, by the way, now Peter is never going to allow that to pass at any time. When he has an opportunity to say, whom we crucified, he's helping people to understand we have in our intellectual ability, even though we have Torah, to absolutely miss what God is doing in Jesus. And so he says, you crucified me. Now what are they going to say? Because the man who was healed is standing there, there beside Peter and John. I mean, everybody can see it. And he's there, you know, grinning like a Cheshire cat. The Jewish leaders send Peter and John away for a couple of minutes to decide what to do. They decide, why don't we warn and threaten them to not speak in the name of Jesus? In other words, you just need to shut up. You need to be quiet. You need to stop what it is you are doing. There's the temptation. To not go, to be a movement and to go outward, but to clam up and to close in. And Peter and John say, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. We're going to do what we have to do. And after further threats, we read, they release them, and Peter and John go and find the disciples. And here's where we come to this room that is shaken. The church hears all about the warnings, hears all about the threats, hears about the healing, hears about all of the words that the religious leaders have said. They recognize that they're living in a culture that is not sympathetic to their message. In fact, it's antagonistic toward it. And so what is the first thing that they do? Knowing 
that they are, in a manner of speaking, they're in enemy territory. They're at least people that are antagonistic towards their movement. Well, they pray. They pray. You know, stepping out of text just for a second, what we pray for tells us a lot about where our heart is. Think about the, the, the average prayer on a daily basis that you pray. Most of the time, in fact, a lot of time, my prayer is about take care of my family. Take care of my sick friends. The average prayer request is somewhere along the line of praying for the things that are most dear to our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. Keep on praying that. Keep on praying that. But here's the question. If God answered 110% all of the prayers that you have ever prayed, who benefits most? People in this room. If God answered all of your prayers, who would be better off? Me and my insiders. But notice their prayer. They recognize at the very beginning of this prayer that God is sovereign that is, he is, in fact, the word in the original language is that he is a despot, despotes. He's a despot. He is a ruler of unchallenged power. They recognize that the pushback that they are receiving right now is just part of living in the fallen world that does everything that it can to not see, to not recognize, and to not acknowledge that God is God. Now, if I'm there, I'm probably knowing me as soon as that happens, I'm praying, Lord, 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 please, 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 protect me, protect me, protect me. What do they pray? Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great, what? Boldness. Hey, let's say that word together. Boldness. I mean, that word is a word that we should acquaint our hearts with. Boldness. Stretch out your hands and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for safety. Now, is there anything wrong with praying for safety? No. But it is remarkable that they do not pray for safety, but for boldness. Now, they're not praying for obnoxiousness. But they pray for boldness to keep being that movement of God-led, go-everywhere, gospel-sharing people that are breaking down the gates of hell wherever those gates of hell are found. And then in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Something heavier than the earth had come down into that place. And the result is they go out from that place shaking the world. The world tries to shake them, but God shakes them in order for them to leave that room and to go out and to shake the world. Look at verse 31, the end of it. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're just infected with that Spirit. And they spoke the word of God, what? They spoke the word of God boldly. 
How is it? Have you ever thought, how is it that, that you're here today? How is it that, that you're here today and all of us are here today in this place together? It is because at some point in time in history, there were a group of disciples of Jesus who saw that they were a part of a movement and they prayed for boldness and they, they spoke with boldness, boldness and the faith was, was, was transported from one generation to the next generation. We are here today. We are here today because someone spoke the word of God boldly and it was passed on to us. My question, what are we going to do for the next generation? You know, I was never, I'm never a, a huge, I've never been a huge fan of the zombie movies. Zombie movies, um, you know, I, I, I suppose they're kind of exciting and they're thrilling and everything, but a zombie, I mean, come on. A zombie is, is um, what is a zombie? A zombie is just the walking dead. Just the walking dead. And what happens is, uh, you know, this virus infects somebody in some jungle in some far-off place, which spreads to some other people, and they're turned into zombies, and those zombies make zombies, and those zombies make zombies. And next thing you know, there are people in Washington, D.C., and Paris, and London, and they're going, what in the world is, what is happening here? There are all of these zombies. And then the next thing you know, it becomes like an epidemic, and I mean, it's just zombie rolling through zombie land. And, and next thing you know, People, are, they see what it is in front of them, and what are they doing? They run for their lives. They recognize it, and they run from it. Now, suppose we think about that. I, I know this is lame. <laughs> you, just, you don't know how lame it is until. But just suppose, you know, Jerusalem. Jesus has been crucified, put in the tomb, resurrected. Fifty days later, Holy Spirit infects a group of disciples. And they begin to, I mean, they're not the walking dead. You know what they are? They're the walking eternal life. They're the walking life. They're not the walking dead. They're the walking life. They are life everlasting. They're not biological life. They're zoe life. They are life that is significant. And it is life that's large and it's big. And they begin really small, and they begin to go out, and they're doing all of these wonderful things. Not only are they talking about the kingdom of God, but they're doing these wonderful things. I mean, people are being healed. The ministry of Jesus is being continued as people are being blessed, and people are being forgiven, and people are being restored, and people with broken hearts are finding that balm that they need for healing. And the next thing you know, people are going, what in the world is happening over there? And as it passes from one person to another person to another person, next thing you know, it's 3,000 people and it's 5,000 men. And the next thing you know, people are looking at it and looking at it and looking at it, and it, it, there's pushback, but it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I mean, in the midst of all that hostility, here are some people that have been infected by the kingdom of God and the gospel. And where, where there's, there's hostility, there's love. And where there's, there's anxiety, there's peace. And when people push back, there's, there's comfort and compassion. And people begin to look at it and look at it and look at it. And instead of like the walking dead, they run for their lives. The people begin to take notice of it 
and they see how beautiful it is, and they don't run for their lives, but they run for that life. San Antonio, let's just think about San Antonio. If Jesus came to San Antonio and visited all of our neighborhoods, went to Alamo Heights, went to Tobin Hill, went to Mankey Park, went to Stone Oak, went to all of, all of the neighborhoods and saw what was happening there with all of the people. Would he say, great job, church. Mission accomplished. Great job. Or would he see spiritual confusion, addiction beyond belief, husbands and wives not in sync with each other, marriages on the rocks, Children without families, eating disorders, pornography creating havoc in every home. Would he see fear? Would he see enslavement to debt and grief and people in their heart of hearts saying, what's the answer? The rally point of the early church was Jesus is Lord. The rally point of the church today is Jesus is Lord. And as we say that, we say to people, we know you don't believe it. But what can we personally do? What can I do? What can you do? What can we do to help you to believe this? You're not our enemy. We're not against you. We're for you. What is it that you need to hear or to see from us for your skepticism to see what it needs to see in order for you to embrace the life that is out there for you? And that's what we're called to do, to be a movement. And yes, 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 yes. We're going to find times when people are going to push back and there are people that are going to say hateful things and there are people that are going to misunderstand and there are going to be people that are just going to hate because haters hate. You know, that's just the way. If you're going to hate, you choose to hate. But there is a prayer that we pray as a church every day. It's a church prayer that goes all the way back to the first century that says, hey, you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. You are the, are, are the chief of our life. And we understand because we are part of world history that begins with you and ends with you, and we see that people will choose not to believe you. But we believe people will. Please enable your servants to speak boldly and give us opportunities to do wonderful things in your name, and to your glory. Let's pray that prayer right now. Father, thank you for the day, and thank you for this example of the early church, and thank you for including us in your movement. There are so many things to be grateful for, and to be appreciative of, and to love you for. But right now in this moment, what we pray for is boldness. When we leave here today, we want to be bold in our faith, not ashamed of it, for we know that it is a power for you to turn a around the lives of people who are struggling and broken and blind and sick 
and fearful and grieving. Use our church, Father. Use our church in every way possible outside the walls of this building to be your light in this community. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, let's stand and sing.